0: But I think the thing that I miss most is through all of that, like through all of the challenges, there's just this feeling, like you just feel like you're in it and you're doing it. That's how I feel in New York. I'm in the Mecca and I'm doing the thing. And I do feel like it's somewhere that every artist should spend some time, whether it's a year or a summer or something. I think it's somewhere that you should experience that energy of we're all here, we're working, we're learning, we're walking really fast, we're eating street (laughs) food, like, (laughs) you know? It's definitely like a culture that's worth experiencing as an artist, both because of the positive and negative things it brings up. It's been material for a lot of music that I've written. I'm sure you guys can relate. Yeah. yeah it really I think proves I whether or
1: not you're serious.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the Faking, Faking notes. notes podcast, 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 podcast. Are we going to whisper that from now on? Like We're going to whisper it forever. It's, it's been on the table long enough. It's Whispering is now a centerpiece. Speaking of centerpieces of the music community, Mark Davis in the house.
1: Let's go. She's a uh, fellow Juilliard alum, along with uh, your favorite Faking Notes podcast host. She's a wonderful harpist and jazz singer.
2: She's got an awesome story. She's got amazing parents and grew up in a very classical environment. Her parents are in the Seattle Symphony. So she came in from this like huge and like immense classical culture with her parents, also going to Juilliard. But she had this dual life of also being an incredible jazz singer. She's so good. It works so hard. And we talk about navigating that and having to keep these two worlds separate and how she was able to bring it back together to do Two incredibly difficult things at the same time, jazz singing and playing harp and now into this electro dreamy pop. We've always loved talking to her. I love listening to her music and been following her story and journey for years. And we're so happy we could share that with you today.
1: I was so excited to hear how her story contrasted with that of Leah Zieger, because classically trained parents, upbringing, also singing. And to see how surprisingly different their experiences of this world are and they, we actually hit so many wonderful lessons that really built upon each other so i know you're going to really enjoy this episode
2: the best way to support this podcast and to keep having great guests like this is through our patreon <laughs> give us your money but another way to reach us and the thing we're really most excited about recently is our discord you can come talk to us talk to our producer shout out to producer daniel enjoy the memes enjoy the conversation share your music share your projects and have these discussions it's a great way to continue the conversation that this podcast is between the episodes so please join us on the Faking notes discord links in the description and to follow more of Marg check her out at Marg Davis Music on Instagram keep
1: up to date on her releases she's got her band her duo Astoria Window she'll be letting you know on her pages when they're going to be live and performing in a town near you
2: thanks again for listening you're going to love this one our next guest
1: Marg Davis Davis Yes. <laughs> and with that, I wanted to welcome you uh, to the Vicki Nose podcast, Marv. It's so good to see you.
0: You too, guys. Been, Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. I wanted to jump in and just maybe start the conversation about our shared passion for classical music and then also branching out into other genres. Like One thing that's always connected us is this passion for leaving that classical bubble and, and bringing out training to other genres. Do you have a specific moment where that motivation started for you? Have you always felt this way? Or was there like a specific Morpheus's red pill moment that we <laughs> would give to this idea?
0: It's funny you say Did you that. take medication? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny to, that you make that reference because I actually watched The Matrix for the first time like in the last year or so. Like I know yeah. I started it in high school and then I, I don't know what happened, but I didn't get all the way through it. But I just watched one and then watched all of them because it was an experience.
1: It is, right? Wow. That's
0: a great question. I don't think there was necessarily a specific moment for me. And I'm curious about both of your answers to this question. I have a very weird and convoluted backstory as a musician. And I've thought I've been thinking about this a lot because I figured this is like something that sets many of us now, like many of our colleagues from school, apart from like your traditional classical musicians trajectory, just because we are diversifying our skills out of desire and Also, for me, I think it kind of necessity, especially like now, post-pandemic. pandemic. Pandemic. (laughs) But I think for me, I was always drawn to doing other things. And classical music for me was just like in the mix more so than it was like, I do this, I learn this style. And then from that skill set, branching out into other things. Juilliard and college in general was something that helped me be grounded. And I learned so much from being immersed in one genre to the extent that, like, I couldn't really do other stuff. I was practicing. Mm. I should have been (laughs) practicing more. But and I guess actually thinking about it now, it's like a moon phases type of thing, maybe. That like before college, I was kind of dabbling in different things because the other thing that's relevant for me is that I was a jazz singer all through middle school and high school. So I was doing this like dual genre music thing where I played classical harp and I was a jazz singer and I would mess around with combining them and singing and playing. And then when I went to Juilliard, I had to like really shelve that and something that like was really sad for me was that I actually got past some singing gigs and I had to say no and it was really hurtful to say no to going and singing on sessions in New York but I had to practice I just had to be in that pool that we were in and then coming out of school the way that I like really supported myself and was like able to be in the field was doing multiple genres and like coming back into diversifying what I'm able to do and like what venues I'm able to come into. So I think it's just been part of the path for me, man, more so than one moment. (laughs) It's always been like, it's always been something I really enjoy. And I'm sure you guys get this. Maybe you especially, Drew, that we play like very classical instruments, like traditionally, like the harp is actually now suddenly being incorporated in more popular genres. But like it's, I think, in a way, like an honor and a heavy task to be in the first generation of people, m- not popularizing, but like pulling our instruments into non-traditional genre spaces, and that's just really meaningful to me. That was a super long answer. My bad.
1: That's what we. That's what podcasting's for. Cool. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. it never end. <laughs> we want long answers. I've been on TikTok, so
0: for. anything more than like <laughs> a minute, I'm like. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fifteen seconds or less. I need your answer. I need your life story.
2: You got fifteen <laughs> seconds, and you have to Harper. dance at the same time. Oh.
1: <laughs> Gotta dance and play harp and sing at the
0: same
2: time. Wow, I, we can we could definitely all relate to that. What's your story, Be, Trevor? So very similar in that I had a variety pack of music and art growing up I'm from rural North Carolina, and so I was just like a little oddball, but. I played in a Dixieland jazz band where everyone else was like over the age of 60. And I'm this little 16 year old. I played (laughs) metal. I was huge in a guitar I wasn't like great at any of these things, but I was like good for the town for a kid (laughs) who doesn't practice. But I loved the variety pack and I had a very similar experience where it was time for college because I didn't have this training and experience. I didn't have the background. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. They're like, you have to choose. You're not getting a performance degree and all this stuff. You, you're going to music school. you got to choose what you're going to do. And so being the coolest kid I know, I was like, bassoon. That's it. It was the <laughs> one instrument I couldn't figure out. So I can definitely relate to being a classical instrument. But we're nowhere else. One's calling up like, oh, man, we, we got the 808s laid in. We got the hats laid in. Let's get the bassoon in here. Drop like, that just, like, bassoon. Lay down the bassoon. <laughs> bassoon, yeah. Come on. That's what's really missing the extra sauce. But it's the same thing. And it was a struggle to connect to these other genres, these other types of music. And it really was very much a double life that I essentially left off half of that life. I I stopped playing guitar for four to six years. I stopped doing these other things. And my connection back to those other types of music, back to musicals and rock music, was composition. So I know a lot of people, they hear, you know, the sounds are in their head, and I'm like, you need to see a doctor. But they hear these sounds in their head, and it's time... Oh, I got to write this down. I have a genius idea. But for me, composition, how I fell into it was that I knew a lot about these other instruments and other genres. I knew I couldn't practice all of them, or I was told I couldn't practice and, and get good at all of these things. And so I started to write for them. So that's how I found a usefulness for this variety pack. So only recently, the more and more I get older, have, do I try to reconnect with this past life of other music. Wow. I love that. I've heard that story
1: a few times. Yeah, you just like, you okay, get, wrap it up. No, dude, you get no. It, you always add another spice. Like you threw some like cilantro and some dill Ooh, in the retelling of that dill. story. Dill, okay, Man, bro, wow. I've been getting into cooking, so like I realized Cajun spice has this has like dill or something in it that mm. gives it mm. an extra little flavor. But that's the, I
2: I forgot about the Dixie Band. Everyone does until they see the photo on Facebook yeah, 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 yeah. of me in the little hat, and nice. they're like, "One of these things is not like the other." We're going to need
1: you to make a meme of this. We need the people need to know. <laughs> no one is safe. Uh, Discord, Facebook, Discord needs to needs to see this. I also I resonate with both of you in some aspects. Like you, Trevor. Like I've been immersed in a lot of different music. Growing up, Earth Wind and Fire, and the Isley Brothers, and Cool in the Gang, and Frank Sinatra, F- uh, Stevie Wonder—quite a range. So It was just a kaleidoscope <laughs> of different musical influences that I've had in my life. And like you, Marg, I get this weird, sick satisfaction of taking an instrument like the viola that like people usually think is a violin, and like playing it in genres where it doesn't belong quote but then it sounds better than you expected and then you're like, wow I guess this is I need more of this so I, I love like that sort of how we are taking this avant-garde position if you will and marrying these instruments that are hundreds of years old and have hundreds of years of tradition and in a way of just like saying I don't care about that tradition let's see what we can do in the future with this stuff so. It's yeah, great to hear your perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's totally. I think it's funny. There's always, it seems there's always so much overlap between random seeming bands that classical musicians all listen to growing up. Because anytime anybody's like, yeah, Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder, everybody's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I recently did an online sort of like festival for the Pacific Mis- Music Institute and the Hawaii Youth Symphony the other day.
0: Cool. And
1: I was asking them, they, I was like just talking about myself, which feels weird. But I was like, oh yeah, I do other genres on viola. Do you guys listen to other genres? And I got 12 responses. No, I don't listen to pop music and I listen to yeah. other stuff. I've
0: been noticing the, that There too. is a world like that. Yeah. Where are they telling the my- truth?
1: <laughs> yeah. They were wow. telling the truth. And I'm I was so like, taken
0: aback by a lot of my students don't have – I ask them all the time, what do you listen to? What do you like? Do you, Are you listening to ex-pop artist, whatever? And they always say, no, I don't know. And I'm like, what? Really? That's not like, really music. I don't know. I, I don't know what the kids are up to these days.
2: I wonder where that comes from. So my, my weird thing, we were all growing up. <clears throat> guitar was cool. And that was just something you did. I guess it was the last generation of <laughs> where yeah. rock music was on the radio and wasn't referred to as classic rock. And you're like, "This is Weezer. I'm <laughs> going to die now. Um, <laughs> I'm going. This is over." But I've bumped into that to where you know, the, the parents' generation they remember that. And instead of a traditional, let me send my kid to just piano lessons or uh, uh, violin lessons or something like that, oh, I'll give my kid guitar lessons. And I would have like killed for that back in the day. And so I'll talk to these kids. Okay, tell me some of the music you like. I want to teach them. I want to meet them where they're at and go with music they already have fallen in love with and they'll play guitar on it. And I swear, not once do they ever name anything that has a guitar in it. Like it never happens. And so it is weird seeing their relationship to music. And I'm like, wait, hold up. Are you on TikTok? Okay, look at the TikTok socks. But they have access. They have access to all this music More music than we've ever had in human history at the tips of their fingers. It's fascinating to hear that some aren't listening to things outside of classical music.
0: Yeah, it's pretty odd. Have you guys noticed, too, I find it so fascinating that maybe this is a little bit of an opinion, but so much, I would almost say the majority of like really popular music and musicians now, not necessarily musicians, but really popular music now is sad like so much of what's really popular right now has really sad content like i remember like when everyone was like so excited about Billie eilish not that they're not i'm still excited about Billie eilish but i remember like on her earlier albums yeah i was like i think i heard like a song or two and i was like oh this is so cool this is so interesting and then i listened to the whole album like on a long drive and i was like just about in tears, like it's so I think of it as like very expressionist <laughs> but it's just so sad and so much music not all of it obviously, but I, I think that's so interesting that at the same time that we're having more open discourse ever than ever about like mental health and being being in your feelings that we also have this like very sad music so I wonder if any of the like emotive qualities of a lot of Current pop affects like how much the youth is listening and what they're listening to. I don't know.
1: wow, I wanna like maybe hop on that, you know what art is though, right like music's art, so art is a reflection of reality. If you look at like music of the early twentieth century, especially after World War one. We left tonalism. Like we went to this atonal serial music, where people are like, oh, "I'm just gonna put one different semitone until I hit all twelve, and then I'm gonna restart." <laughs> that's Science. not music, dude. Science. That's math. <laughs> Science, right? So I think what's reflective. There's like these two things that are converging. We have a mental health crisis in the first world. That's not just pervasive in America, but it's in all these different spaces. And I think that the art is reflecting that in a way, yeah. in a macro sense. So maybe that's something you're picking up on. But what maybe we need to push in our musical, or maybe our duty as musicians is to push like gratitude and, and compassion and love. Mm-hmm. If you listen to music of the 60s, it's all about love. Right. Like, they're just happiness of love. They were blazed like, out of their mind. But, <laughs> but legalize it then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Take a note from the 60s.
2: Yeah, like, <laughs> and what's interesting is that, to some degree, I don't know if they were doing it ironically or to push back or to imagine the world they wanted. I had this old band teacher growing up, again, South in North Carolina, and he like, loved the Beatles and all these things, and our generation, we growing up, we're, we're listening to rock music, and so many people idolize those days. Oh, it's the good old days. And he would, like, old-mannedly slam on the podium and be like, no. Even though he loved this music, he was like, those weren't good days. I think we we had just like the horrors of the v- Vietnam War and Korean War and civil rights and people are dying and protesting, like all these crazy things. So they weren't really the good days. We've got a lot of great music from it, but they were rebelling through their music by being interested uh, in happiness and other things. And so that was their form of protest. And like now we just, we sing almost more, even though it's really metaphorical, we almost sing more literally about what's happening. And I'm a huge uh, Billie Eilish fan. And I wonder if it's even more so than ever, like the pop culture and the personhood has united. Like these children, and everyone resonates so closely with the artist because before, how would you hear about the artist? Maybe a press release. It's an album. You had to go somewhere to listen to the music. You weren't following uh, the Rolling Stones Instagram like back in the '60s and '70s. Like you'd had no idea what Mick Jagger or who Mick Jagger was doing at the time. But you ought- you had to read about <laughs> it. And nowadays, like we we know what they're doing. We know what they had for lunch. We know when the next album's dropping, and it's so personally connected. But yeah. even to bring it. Directly to the music because that's an that's an amazing observation. It's very true. Even Olivia Rodrigo, like all these recent things, like I drive alone past your street, like it's the saddest hell song. Sad. Uh, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> we broke up. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, ah, it's yeah. it's an age old it's an age old thing. We've been singing about breaking up and love since we could sing as humans, and yet it feels more direct and personal. But I think for me, and I'd be curious to segue this into like your technology side of your performing, is that Billie Eilish, she's like singing up here right against mm-hmm. the microphone. She's basically podcasting to us. It's just so intimate and she's in your ears and she's NPRing you with just like this close proximity and you literally feel like she's there with you and that she's speaking like to your soul. And now to praise you. So you are insanely in- incredible. <laughs> Oh, have an thanks. insanely incredible voice. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and I just love it because you play the harp and everyone's just, holy shit, she's so good. And then you're like, Ooh. wait a minute, what's she about to do? And then your voice comes in and it's like, holy shit, she's great at this too. Oh, <laughs> it's, that's it's so unique nice. It's a unique thing. And it's just, <laughs> it's wonderful and it's just a pure joy. And oh. there's so few of you singing harpist, but I just wanted to jump in specifically about your music and something that brings joy to the world, not just the sadness we now hear. So you you went through your career and you've you've brought back, you've combined these two previously separated worlds.
0: Mm.
2: How is that these days? Like now you've been doing this for a number of years where it's, They've become married. How does it feel to bring these two worlds together?
0: The first thing that comes to mind is it's really hard. If you're thinking about it, think about it really hard (laughs) before you get into it. Because trade secret, the harp is really hard. It's really hard to play. And you know what? You don't need another thing to do while you're playing it. So (laughs) that's on my mind. It is really hard. Trevor, can you? So your question is, what's it like now?
2: After doing, yeah, I'm curious where it's at now that you brought these two together.
0: Yeah, that's the million-dollar question. I think for all of us, after going through 2020 and 2021 so far, to some extent, I feel like a lot of us are hitting the light at the end of the tunnel right about now, and maybe it's got a dimmer switch, so we're like moving up together, which is so exciting. But honestly, I've done a lot of thinking about that question: what. Am I doing with this? Where do I want to take this? Because initially, you mentioned that I do some stuff with electronics. Like the thing that I'm passionate about that I really aspire to do is to release music and yes. like play shows with my band. That's what I really want to do all the time. And what's been an enormous long term project for me has been finding the sound. And it's meant literally my teammate in my bandmate learning how to run a ton of electronics and we have had to take our time outfitting ourselves with different synths and preamps and all kinds of equipment which has for freelance musicians has taken a number of years (laughs) to really amass everything we need to realize our dreams sonically so that's been this project in the front and back of my mind (laughs) you know this whole time And singing and playing just in a solo context, like me singing and playing with my harp. My band is also a a place where I sing and play. But singing and playing like gigs was really a way of having fun and supporting myself. That was the thing that I put together as I was graduating college. Like the summer after I finished grad school, I was making arrangements. Like I spent that whole summer arranging jazz songs that I feel comfortable singing. I just spent the whole time making heart parts and I posted some covers and stuff, and I was super lucky that it turned into work. And of course, I was in this fantastic place to try to do that, being right outside New York. So 2018, 19, I was just driving all around the East Coast singing and playing at people's like weddings and parties and a couple concerts and that kind of snowballed into collaborations and a bunch of projects that I'm like really thrilled to have been a part of. And then of course we had the pandemic. <laughs> so that yeah. that kind of yeah, that kind of pushed me into my brain a lot. And in a way, it was a good opportunity, not worth it, but in a way, (laughs) it was a good opportunity for me as a person to introspect and sort out, okay, which of these projects am I doing? Because it's meaningful to me and the art that I want to create and my long term goals, which of them am I doing? Because it's I'm in too deep, like I've been working with Someone or a, even like an agency or I've been on this concert series or whatever. Am I still in projects that I got into for monetary reasons or owed someone a favor? Like what? which of these projects are really authentically me? And the thing that's authentically me is weird like dream pop folktronica, like electronics and harp with singing. And I want to soothe you. That's what I want to give to the world as an artist. Like, I want to make music that like when you're sad which so much of the world is now i want you to feel soothed i want you to be able to listen to my music and fall asleep or not because it's boring but you know what i mean Want those yeah. like yeah. lullaby vibes and that's something that just makes me really excited and at the same time i'm sure you guys can relate to this too like when you're doing multiple genres you get pulled into stuff because i'd be curious if, the, if this kind of thing is something you can relate to for me when I started to put out, like, ooh, I also sing, and I here's a jazz song. I developed a reputation of just she doesn't just do classical stuff. So it ended up being an, uh, a gateway into: Are you doing a project and it's not a classical project, and you want a harp? Ooh, you could call Marg, which is so wonderful and like a thrill for me. But then it ends up being a lot of I, I feel stretched thinly as a musician sometimes because i'm like okay now i have to be in like jazz headspace and okay now i'm in classical headspace and like okay now we're writing a song that's a different like that's a lot of shape-shifting for me so i think long story long like i think my answer to like where is this now is honestly i'm just trying to be authentic and i'm trying to weigh how much do i Really want to commit time to something that, like, yes, I want to do. I really want to make a jazz album. I'd love to do that. I actually started the process. And then now I'm just, is that something that I want to spend a lot of time on? And would it really be for making beautiful art or would it be largely like to gig more? You know what I mean? Like, I'm weighing that kind of stuff. Like, I'm trying to just be really true to what's going to settle that ache that I get as an artist to do something. And that's where I'm trying to really focus my energies, which right now is like songwriting, composition, electronics. And uh, I just got a kalimba, which is- Yes! yes. Just <laughs> kalimba, let's yeah. go!
2: I love the kalimba. <laughs> and you are you gonna run it through some pedals?
0: Potentially, but you we just it. were experimenting with doubling like harp and kalimba unisons and it's insane it's insane because it's like this round like quality but then you get the like thunk at the front of it and a pluck so it's it has really a percussive
1: weird. E- element to it Th- yeah. those two mm. percussive elements fusing yeah yeah oh man i might need you to like send me a couple of experimental stuff so i can sample it yeah
0: and...
2: I love how all of our recent guests, all kind of similar ages too, we all seem to be hitting that turning point mm-hmm. to where we've gone through the grind, we went through school, we're a couple years out, taking the gigs, figuring it out. And it's in that moment of shift. What is our why? And what do I need to do to fulfill that why? To fulfill that itch for myself and for art and for my community. For you, I'm curious because... We, of course, research everyone before they come They come on, regardless of if we've known them for years or if this is our first time interacting. Nice, wow. And you were having like a badass 2019. You got all these interviews. I, I remember watching some of those videos then, but revisiting. You're releasing all these beautiful videos of your singing and playing, highly produced and, and frequent. And then suddenly, yeah. the world shuts down. Not, not so good. <laughs> first off, I know you had already touched on it. The difficulties of being on this upper trend and then having that stripped away, and but do you think because of this pandemic and that forced reflection, do you think that's getting you closer to your why, like this forced introspective, the force I have to reassess, did that accelerate some of this change? Are you going to be getting to some of these things sooner had this otherwise not happened?
0: I think so. Another great question. so the thing that I don't really share much on social media because i don't really feel inclined to is that i actually lucked out beyond belief in that i got a harp teaching job last fall so i have had 25 students all year oh my god which has been a blast i'm happy to i know i'm happy to say that i love it i love it i love my students i love teaching i've i had a small private studio like the first couple years i was out of school and then so get this weirdest thing ever i moved i don't know if you guys even know this but i moved to houston um okay cool research right (laughs) so yeah i moved to houston pretty much because i had a i was supposed to write a piece for harp vocals electronics and orchestra that was going to premiere with the Seattle Collaborative Orchestra, which actually my high school orchestra director conducts. So I was really excited about that. And unfortunately, it was postponed. It was supposed to be last April and I didn't have it. I'm excited for the time when the time comes. But yeah, we moved down to Houston because we just, first of all, believe it or not, New York is a very tough place to be a harpist. Really? And perhaps... <laughs> I thought everything was so easy. So enjoyable. Yeah, Yeah, having a car was very hard. Moving basically really expensive, weirdly shaped couch to every gig was very difficult. (laughs) And like when you add in singing, like frequently I'm also bringing a car full of, like I'm either bringing like a big Uh, PA system or... uh, It it was really hard. (laughs) It was really fun. I loved it. It was like, I had this one day I remember really vividly where... I had to be at this sound check and thank goodness it was at the jazz gallery on the east side. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Well, thank goodness it was this like five hour, like all day, like we're just going to rehearse and whatever. It was with this amazing singer songwriter, guitarist, Camila Meza, Camila Meza. She wrote this unbelievable commission. It was like so fun to play. But I was coming from my place in Connecticut, which realistically should have taken me an hour and a half. So, New York traffic parking, et cetera. I left three and a half hours early, and I was an hour and a half late to the sound oh my, because God. yeah, it took me like f- it took me like five hours to get there, and I was telling one of my good friends that I'll shout him LA out l a
2: vibes yeah yeah, it's oh, vibes. yeah it's you Ali guys Ali are vibes. in
0: it, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. And like, I was telling one of my good friends, I'm going to name drop. I was telling Sam Jones.
1: (laughs) Yes, let's go. Sam Jones. Shout out, Sam. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I was telling my friend Sam and I think he was like half listening or something, which is fine. No shade. But he was like, he said, well, just plan a little better. And I was like, what do you mean plan? Uh, How am I supposed to, what, am I supposed to leave more than two and a half extra hours of time for for a drive and a and a park? It, it was just a, a big, it was just really hard. And it was like hard work all the time. And I'll never, I don't want to complain about having a lot of work. It was fantastic. But it was like all the logistics made it just much harder and much more time consuming to gig. And I can't just like mm-hmm. not gig. So yeah. moved down to Houston to work on this commission, try out a new scene. And we were, I was on the East Coast for seven years for undergrad, grad school, and then one more year. And so I moved to this specific area of Sugarland, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. And six months later, six months after I moved there, the school district I moved to created two positions for faculty harp teachers. Which wow. is unheard of. That does not happen. Freaking There's Texas. Like, they like to take care of
2: classical music. <laughs> Texas they is really like the do. best state for classical music. Yeah. No one will believe us. And it's the it's best. It's
0: insane, man. It's like really crazy. But yeah, so I just totally freaking lucked out and, and had this wonderful opportunity for last year. But to your question, Trevor, like that I think has really added to me trying to figure out what i want as a person and an artist because it's thrown in a full-time schedule during the school year i'm working all day every day of the week and that makes my rehearsal time my creative time something i have to treasure and i think that combined with honestly it was a huge mental trip to not only am I doing this thing I've never done before, which is teaching harp all day nine to five, but mm-hmm. also I don't have any gigs. So the yeah. pandemic for me, I, I got so lucky that I had something else and it was harp and I got to just talk about harp all the time. I'm so grateful for that. But it was such a like identity mind do you guys cuss on here?
2: <laughs> yeah, we do, yeah. Okay. And it was
0: yeah. a total fucking mess. No, we don't fuck. fucking
2: cuss on this. <laughs>
0: yeah, it just it messed with my head so much because I was like, first of all, where am I? Like I just moved to Texas, yeah. which is not like New York, not like Connecticut, yeah. and not like Seattle where I'm from. Yeah. So very different in all ways. But yes, again, guys, I'm sorry to ramble. <laughs>
1: but No, um, no, please. Fantastic. This is why you're here.
0: Yeah, it did Yeah, it definitely I'm not sure if I will ever know the answer to, did the pandemic get me to make edits to my life and my creative endeavors sooner than I would have? I think probably undoubtedly, especially hearing that you guys are hearing that kind of thing from other guests. Yeah. But like you said, getting older, I'm 27. I'm like, what am I? <laughs> what do I want for the remaining? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't You're know.
1: You're doing great. Thanks. You're doing great. You're doing <laughs> amazingly. Thanks, man, I wanted right to here. highlight for the fake I wanted to highlight for the Faking Fam cuz this idea that you went from a place of high concentration to a place of low concentration. They often say in our field like you should just move to Chicago or New York or LA mm-hmm. to try to work as a musician, but the fact that you moved to a place where there was no harp And they created the ecosystem for you just for you to then thrive. There is something to be said about going from a big ocean to a tiny little puddle and then putting water everywhere and then growing an ecosystem (laughs) in a place where it doesn't exist. That is also a viable method to like really grow your career.
0: Yeah, totally. I will say there is like more of a scene here for Harp than you'd expect. Evidence. Word. There are. 50 harp students in my district <laughs> but what Whoa. i found what i found was drew like you're totally right and i think that my dad actually is a cellist and he went to juilliard and he he was in the san antonio opera i believe right after he graduated okay cool yeah yeah and he had an experience like that i think where he cultivated a scene for of cello students and i think something similar happened to him when he ended up going over to the seattle symphony because this was in the age where Wait, he's in seattle yeah, he's retired now, but he was the principal cello there for a long time. He and Nathan, Nathan Chan, Chan. their buds. You know, Nathan, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're they're, friends. they're buds. Yeah. Oh my, no way. Yeah, so so, oh yo, you know my so mom's they're... in that orchestra still with Nathan. She sends Work? yeah, she sends me like updates sometimes. She's like, oh, I saw Nathan today.
1: <laughs> I went an audition back in February.
0: I saw you were there. Love last Did you year. like it?
1: Yeah. It rained a lot. Yeah, it will do that. It'll do <laughs> it will do that. It rained a lot. It was cold and it was dark. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My friend, my best friend from Seattle just visited me and she told me, like, you have to make sure if you want to move to Seattle, which like right now a lot of people do, you have to make sure you go when it's rainy and gray because it's rainy and gray Mm -hmm. a lot. And it has an effect on you when you don't see the sun for a while.
2: Mm hmm. I visited Seattle once was for two weeks. I taught some, a music production thing for graduate. Nice. So graduate, classical composition, and then I'm teaching beats at the University of Washington. <laughs> yeah. But it was during the summer. And at the time, this was a rare occurrence, but it's more and more frequent. It was during a historic heat wave. And for two weeks in <sighs> Seattle, it was over 90 degrees. Oh, my
0: gosh. Did you hear they and just had so,
2: one? Yeah.
0: It, yeah, it was That's awkward.
2: what's like this was towards the first, this would have been, I guess, what, 2015? Tw- and yeah. so I'm teaching these kids. We're on this little laptop in this university. There's no AC. And I'm used to like awful obliterating heat from growing up in the South. But these kids mm-hmm. and everyone around, it was like a zombie town. Like they were walking around like they don't know. Brains, st- AC, yeah. AC <laughs> brain. Yeah. And they were freaking out. And, and I was like, okay, this isn't normal. And the last day before yeah. I left, it finally rained. And I was like, I got, okay, I got my experience, my Seattle experience. <laughs> That's crazy. It's raining on me. It's a little gloomy, but yeah. I get, even then it was super packed. I can't even imagine now just how many people are going yeah. there.
0: It really. Sucks as somebody who grew up there, and i like, I would love to move back there if there was like anything for me to do professionally <laughs> but yeah my my best friend still lives there, and she's just been telling me about what rent prices are and like what traffic is, and it's just completely different and it's it's coming up on l a New York and all that stuff Amazon, yeah,
2: Amazon played a big part, yeah, I mean, I just even remember my my friend who I just crashed at because of course I just graduated, so I had zero dollars <laughs> and <laughs> Just seeing the road rage of him. We were out in like Bellevue. We were Mm. like way out in Bellevue. crossing that one bridge and we're just sitting there. The floating bridge. And he's just like freaking out. Just like screaming. I'm just like, I'm seeing a new side of my friend, but I get it.
0: Do you guys know um, Max Foster? Juilliard pianist? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's one of my really close friends and he's from Australia. And he used to always like be so shocked like i would drive him around we were at yale together so i would drive him around in Mm -hmm. connecticut and he would always be like why are you getting so mad if i'd be like oh come on (laughs) like at a car like cutting on i was like i don't know but i think it is that like in seattle when i was a kid like when i was learning to drive driving was a piece of cake and now traffic there is like terrible and everyone's so mad
1: that is so funny as somebody who um I'm so fortunate to have been able to visit Japan, visit friend of the pod Brian Lee back in 2018, and stayed in in Japan for a month. Wow! And having like lived in New York City with public transit that you know is falling apart, but to its credit, does a decent job of getting Mm -hmm. people around. As people who've all lived in New York here on this podcast episode, the New York subway kind of works living in Japan for a month when the train said it was going to be there at 1234 and it sometimes would be there at 1233. Like the wow. infrastructure, the efficiency, and then th- th- how that really plays a part in the the happiness of the people. Japan's a terrible example of happiness of people because their work culture drives them to have like, the highest suicide rate and mm. among the highest suicide rates in the world. But when it comes to getting around places and efficiency and public transit, it really changes the quality of life of being in that city. Yeah. Just as somebody who was there, I was happy as a clam. I was like, I could get anywhere I want to be. And just hearing about seeing road rage, I think that we are in America really failing not only our economy, but our general happiness by not really prioritizing public well,
2: transit. Well, true. Yeah, it's infrastructure right. week. We've had infrastructure week before. Is it infrastructure, it's infrastructure week? It's infrastructure... No, it's, it, it's not oh. going to happen.
1: But, <laughs> I uh, thought we, we were just like not we're trying. funding infrastructure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's some phrase. I, I I won't get it exact. Some quote. We should judge a society, the quality of a society, not on how nice the cars that the wealthy drive, but how many wealthy people take public transportation. Is it mm-hmm. good enough for them to do? And we're, are we all in this mm-hmm. together? That's and deep. to segue this... In, in a big way, taking that philosophy to music, all Are of us you about us to ask go, me if I've
0: ever taken a harp on the subway? <laughs>
2: <Just> oh, <no. laughs> don't <kidding.
0: laughs> get that question. A lot. I, w-
2: I will spare you because I I, I know the answer is just, is not pleasant. I see too many bassists wheel those things on there, oh. and but <laughs> but um, we all went in this public transportation wealthy car metaphor, but translated to music, we all went and got in the fancy car. We all went to Juilliard. And we've ridden around in that fancy car, but now all three of us are doing these other types of music and speaking to younger kids who are all sorts of backgrounds, who have all different types of goals. And now teaching a lot. And I just I think about that for me when I'm teaching a lot of these students: should am I just preparing them to try to get in the fancy car, or am I trying to improve? The public transportation. I haven't played out this metaphor at all yet. No, so we're, workshopping yes. yeah. we're workshopping this. I'm following but wow. yeah. Are we help, Are we? It's, am, am I preparing them just so they can get their own fancy car or am I improving public transportation? Am I making mm-hmm. it so that everyone wants to be a part of this? And I'm just curious, of Vumarg, about when you're teaching these younger students, is it in that kind of traditional way we were taught to send them on there? Or for some of these students, do you know they have different goals? They want to be like you. They want to be a a singing harpist. They might not even want to do harp or music down the road, but they know they can gain something from this. How do you approach students of this age in your teaching, and what are you preparing them for?
0: Sure. Another fantastic question, guys. I'm very impressed. That's a really good (laughs) question. (laughs) (laughs) That's a particularly good question because harp, I have found presents this dilemma because i think and this might be a hot take but i think that harp is one of the harder instruments to do at a passing level like it's a harp, probably just because it's like not a melodic instrument i don't know why this is but here in texas orchestra is just strings like orchestra is just strings and harp which i (laughs) i grew up with orchestra having winds and brass so i that's weird to me but whatever do you Texas but I have found it an interesting and challenging thing that in this particular district where I'm fortunate enough to be employed I feel like the harp is approached just like any other instrument which is incredible that's so insane that the district has instruments is offering here's a, a on faculty person to help you specifically because the orchestra directors have basses, cellos, and and violins to deal with. It's really amazing that's so accessible, but in order to get decent enough to play in an orchestra and come in where you're supposed to come in and play with two hands and play all the notes in a, a medium level or even an easy part, I feel like it's a little harder to do that on harp or probably any harmonic instrument. Starting piano in sixth grade, probably very challenging so i do i have had students be really interested and excited and then get in the door and realize oh how much do i actually need to practice and like (laughs) it's a hard thing because i don't want to tell anybody like hey i don't think you actually want to do this (laughs) you know where but i know from personal experience that like it's hard like it's one of those things that like if you don't really want to Maybe you shouldn't do it. Yeah. 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 So it's a difficult thing for me to approach in that sense, but also I do have students who have this range of goals. I have students who are interested in being professional harpists, but don't want to be in an orchestra, which is something I can relate to. I've never really been looking to be in an orchestra full-time. And I'm sure you guys struggle with this too. I don't really know what to tell students because it's I'm honest with them and I tell them like it's hard you, you have to really figure it out if you want to get into music and you don't want to go in a traditional direction which is also hard then you have to be creative and I hear this all the time that like and I, I feel this way too that freelancers aren't really prepared that much by school outside of the playing context when it comes to Drew I think you and I've even talked about this years ago that like when it comes to marketing yourself or even yeah. simple things like taxes what's a 1099 even a stuff, P&L? right <laughs> <laughs> even you know here's an invoice template like any of that we're really not prepared for that so i have had students who've directly asked me like how do i do what you do and honestly like you you have to be creative and get lucky In a lot of ways for all of us, I feel who are having full time music careers, there's some luck there because it's such a saturated space. But I think all I can really say is that I try to be realistic and I try to be honest and I try to encourage my students to have fun right now. And something I've really been realizing about what the harp is for me and what practicing is for me in the classical genre It's about focus. It's about focus and it's just a mental exercise. You can make it as meditative as you want it to be, but all you're doing when you're practicing is soothing your soul, you're focusing your energy, and you're sharpening your mind. That's what I tell my students when they get lost with what's my goal, why am I doing this, what is the whole future, especially my younger kids, I like to encourage them, just do it to the extent that you like it and push yourself to the extent that you're growing without like hurting yourself or causing yourself a lot of stress, which is not the way that I was taught. I was taught you didn't learn this many pages, you're awful. (laughs) So it's definitely not like the, the Juilliard way, which is how I was taught a lot of my high school. And I grew up in a family of classical musicians. So even at home, it was like, you're practicing how much that's not very much. And so it's definitely, that's not the the attitude I go with, but that's a fantastic question. Honestly, I'm going to think about that for a while. The public transportation. Can I I piggyback? I'm
1: sorry. I want to, I want to get in the ring, bro. Go, go. It's so funny. tagged it. That, actually leads into a question I had for you, Margie. I never went to Juilliard as an undergrad. I didn't have classical parents. So like my perspective of you is, uh, my upbringing is a little different than yours, but I know we have a lot of shared experience and I want to get your perspective. What's one thing that you learned from like your classical upbringing into Juilliard that has served you very well and that you continue to take with you into the future, what's one thing that you like learned in your upbringing and your education that has actively harmed you has taken you a while to discard?
0: Okay, so a good thing and a bad thing. A peak and a pit. Yeah. Of musical family. Okay, wow. You guys, this is so creative. I love all your questions. Good job. Great podcast. (laughs) Okay, the thing that I have always felt that I think has given me a lot, both in a truly positive way and in an, oh, I need to work harder, show me where I need to work harder type of way, which is also a positive for me, is having classical musicians for parents. The whole time I was growing up, my dad was principal cello, Seattle Symphony, and my mom was in the second violin section. My brother is actually also a trumpet player, but he was, he's a jazz musician. But anyway, what that boils down to is my immediate family are huge nerds. And I love that. <laughs> I love that about them. But what I was always very aware of is that classical orchestral musicians work their asses off. They are so dedicated. And it's obviously augmented my experience a little bit to then go to Juilliard. And now many of my friends are in orchestras and I've like seen them play beer pong and stuff. So it changes this
2: yeah. perception.
0: <laughs> like,
1: hey, hey. <laughs> I'm serious about beer pong. Okay? Oh, yeah. If you wanna Valuable go toe, skill. To toe I'll bring my A game. It's been a minute, but I am so down. It's, okay, <laughs> let's get it. Next time we hang out, yeah. that's what we got to do. Anyway, I'll make Anyway, sorry. Trip.
0: Not that beer pong says anything, but it doesn't quite fit with like my image of my parents growing up as classical musicians. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think... I've always had this huge admiration for orchestral musicians. As a kid, I thought it was really cool that, like, my parents... I don't know why I thought this was really cool, but they hated this, but my parents often couldn't come to school stuff because it was after school and they were at work. And my parents could come to, like, weird stuff that, like, everybody else's parents is at the office because it's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday or whatever. And my parents always had Mondays off and everyone was like, Mondays off? What is that? Because they have this symphony (laughs) schedule. And I always thought it was, like, this really cool thing that, like, my dad puts on tails and my mom puts on, like, a gown, essentially, and they go to work at seven at night. And I just thought that was, like, so cool. And I had so much just admiration for maybe it's not a very common thing that a kid gets to see their parents just truly in their element that might be a really lucky thing because my i'll laud them for a second like they are just such professionals like still i tell my mom all the time you look like a bad bitch when you're on stage (laughs) because she does she's just so good at her job and that's I actually talked to my friend about this recently. I think another thing that was meaningful and impactful to me is both of my parents had their dream jobs. Both of them always wanted to do that. And they did. Yeah. Which is really insane. So fortunate. But it's out of insane hard work. My dad, I swear I'm not going to rant on this. No,
1: please. No, please. This is important.
0: (laughs) So my, my dad grew up in Red Bluff, California. And my dad is quite old. So he grew up like in the 40s, pretty much. Word. Yeah. And he found a cello with no bridge in the closet of a like an orchestra room, and there was no orchestra anywhere. And he like looked it up in Encyclopedia Britannica and put a piece Uh, of wood (laughs) where there should be a bridge. And I think he was like 13 or he might have been like 16, like an age that's like old for starting to play the cello. And he like was essentially self-taught, like he had some guidance from the band director. And then he ended Mm -hmm. up going to Meadowmount Music Festival where Mm -hmm. Leonard Rose was the cello teacher. And Leonard Rose, this was back in the day where you didn't like you could get around auditions. Leonard Rose invited him to come to Juilliard. Which is just great. Like, that's such an insane, like, narrative to me. And then my mom, very similar thing, grew up in a, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, with no musicians in her family, no one thinking this is a viable career, and also dealing with some, like, feminist struggles at that period of time. And yes. just did it herself, like, found, literally found a sponsor and went to music school and she took 13 auditions. And was in the finals, wow. I think every time, like twelve or thirteen uh, times. I know, and like I told one time, uh, I was
2: like,
0: "Dude, I don't know if I would be down for <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Thirteen,
2: I mean, so, yeah, so unlucky. Yeah. Gotta um, be thirteen.
0: Yeah, so I grew up with enormous admiration for classical musicians and just understanding like the grit and dedication and discipline. My dad practiced. I think every day, every day that I was at the house, it was like, okay, I'm going to go practice like just Mm -hmm. it was really impactful in that way. And I've always had a huge respect for Juilliard. I always wanted to go to Juilliard (laughs) because my dad went to Juilliard. And uh, that, I think, is the peak, just being able to have huge respect for artists who know what they want to do and go Mm -hmm. do it and are very disciplined about it. I think a negative for me personally, I don't feel like I can pinpoint like a true negative. The only one that that I can think of really is I probably will always wonder if I would have found music if my parents were lawyers. You know, I got into music because it's what my it's the it was the family business and I had all of this awe for them and their careers that i just thought it was in the cards and then i was fortunate enough to like be able to pursue it and there were many moments where i was like "Do i want to do this this is really hard and i'm so grateful (laughs) i'm so grateful that i did because i love what i do like i'm so thrilled with being a musician but yeah i do i do wonder i would like to know like you drew and like people i'm not sure about you trevor i'm really curious but so many people we went to school with don't have musical, don't have a musical family. And I think that's a really beautiful, amazing thing that like it it was in you. You found your way to that. And that's something that I I wish I knew. If I think so, I want to think I'd probably be like, Ooh, singing is fun or something. But I don't know if I would have found harp. I had parents who were like, a lot of parents are like, no, that's too big. But my parents, they understand. We have to get a
2: van. We're going to have to get a van to do this. You're going (laughs) to you're going to play clarinet like you're going to play-
0: Yeah, that's probably the negative that that was for me. Also, they would make fun of me for like That's the wrong note because my mom has perfect pitch. So, oh, that was man. annoying <laughs> as a kid, oh, but man. Yeah, Trevor, yeah, do you have That's a- enough
2: to be a negative. Yeah. Yeah. I do not have a musical family. Actually, both my grandmother, I didn't even know until closer to when she passed that she was very good at piano. I didn't know any of this. And again, this is North Carolina and Along many decades ago where it's just like, not, it's not what you do, but she was very into piano, did well, got like some offer to do something in Europe, to go study in Europe. And my great grandma was like, no, you can't do that. You have to like stay here, like on the farm or outside the factory. And so she rebelled. She never played another note. Mm -hmm. She rebelled and got married and started having kids and continues her life. And my mom had played in public schools back when North Carolina would have strings in schools. They cut the program she stops playing. So like everyone, there's been music there. great grandfather played like soprano saxophone in a little church band. Like they've always done it, but it's to no knowledge of my own. I was always told he played the clarinet. And then I'm like, hey, I'm a music. I want to see this instrument. And it's a soprano sax. So it's been a part of the family loosely, but definitely not in the older generation's like an artist career. And we've talked about a bunch of, this, of these things on the podcast. Like it's interesting to see through these conversations, different people's types of backgrounds, like what brought them to music.
0: Yeah,
2: And I've mentioned a few times, some of the most like interesting and fascinating people we've seen are the second generation. Mm. Their parents were the first to start it off, just like your parents. And I'm thinking of, we had Leah Ziegler on here, her parents mm-hmm. and Martina's parents as artists. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I- I'm always fascinated by just how creative uh, and incredible this second generation of artists is because they got to look at the model and learn the pros and cons. Like, wow, they're, they're working their ass off. They're the model of grit and creativity, but also they're like, Hey, this is really hard for me. You sure you don't want to go to med school? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, but then you do all these very creative things. So I'd like to think, but my, my kids will have a, will, will be, will be much more creative and a far better than I, but it is neat to, it's, it's neat to hear um, your story and That's true. We're very fortunate for the circle we know. Like going to a Juilliard, riding in the nice car, we've seen a lot of people who have had these role models in their life. Mm -hmm. And so, at least for me, I try to be on the lookout. As someone who just by accident fell into music, I'm sure if I could like dunk, I would be doing something else. But no, I was like nerdy, (laughs) and I was I could win at music in my small town. Like people would, it was I was finally getting. Yay, you can do something. And so I fed off that. So it's kind of like music for the wrong reasons. I was like, yes, I can win mm-hmm. at something. I'm going to play music. And I don't know if I, what I would have fallen into if not for chance and not for a good teacher here or there to come in and support me and trust me and me discover myself through music. It was an insane amount of luck.
0: Yeah.
2: No one did this. I was the only bassoonist in my county. We'd have wow. all county auditions. I was always first. It was Trevor. Because there was no one there. there was, because that no makes one was the winner. Up. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I did it. This is awesome. And then I'd try out for all regions up against the Charlotte, North Carolina city kids. And I'd get number nine out of nine. I'd just get mopped up off the floor.
0: I just wonder, like, is that something that, how did that color your experience? Like, we talked earlier about coming from the fancy car, like coming from Juilliard and moving to a smaller pool. What was it like to come from North Carolina and then go somewhere so much more? saturated as a musician.
2: I think to some degree, there's like a lot of comparisons with Drew. Again, it's always a different experience. But I, I think I got lucky in that because it was so foreign, it is this blessing and a curse. Because mm-hmm. music and this idea, no one has a career in music there either,
1: mm-hmm. except
2: my band teachers. And like they're there to teach. They're doing marching band. They're doing these other things. No one is surviving off music in my entire county. It's not a thing. father was a maintenance man. Mom works for a part-time nut- nutritionist for the city. Like, not music. Very supportive, loving family. But it was just like this weird little alien, mm-hmm. and they just always supported me, which isn't insane. Maybe too much. They should have been like Trevor, go to something, go to med school. But they, but they didn't. <laughs> they always supported me. But this, the blessing was when I get to college, I'm not tired of it. Mm-hmm. Everything's new. Everything's exciting, and so I got to discover things on my own through curiosity and I wasn't tired by the time I wound up at college which I'm sure many kids whose parents are classical musicians like they're already 10 years deep and when they get to college they're like I've done that like I don't I want to move on so I, I just didn't have that point of course the counters the negative is that I had a lot of catching up to do so I literally I didn't have that discipline I didn't know what I needed to do I was very behind and so I had to spend a lot of time catching up and working hard to get back to the basic level that you need to be to have this career. But to your question of us back to this convoluted metaphor about public transportation, the thing I think about and in this discovery of my why that's been clarified by the pandemic and why teaching is, a, is such a soft spot in my heart is when I'm putting something out, when I'm talking about music or thinking about music, what I want to do. I think of everyone else in my small hometown, other situations like that across the world who don't have access to these types of things and who never had a teacher or that moment that could change their life and wow. open open up a new world to them. Wow. Most people I know are still living in that county. They didn't get a chance. They didn't get as lucky to have the parents who were like, yeah, sure, do it. We support you. We don't get it but we love seeing you do something. This is great. They didn't have that chance. It was so much luck. It's that luck we keep talking about. And I've had an insane amount of luck just to wind up here in this current position. <laughs> and it's not like, it was, it's not, everything's not amazing, but it, like how much energy and luck went into this moment. And I, I want to open up access, not just to classical music, but to the knowledge you get from going through a discipline Mm -hmm. to other places that simply don't have that role model, that path, that access. And so that's the public transportation through education that I'd like to personally work on. Can I I speak on that a little bit too? I didn't have parents
1: that were – they were music lovers, but they weren't professionals. So when – I took public transportation and wound up with a viola in my hands. They were like, I don't know what you're (laughs) supposed to do. And so I think it's a combination because one thing that you touched on, Marg, was like, yeah, why would anybody learn harp or want to learn harp? Or most parents would balk at the idea of their kids trying to learn harp. And so they would actively discourage it. But I think it's a combination of an existing public transportation vehicle and parental support and will combining with the third essential element of the child being passionate about it. I think all of that was the cocktail that created me. I had so much passion for this thing that I didn't even know it really existed other than outside of the occasional elementary school trip to the orchestra. And I know I wanted to play viola, but I was like, oh, that always looked cool. I was exposed to it. So having the exposure is step one. Having the access is step two. And then having continual support is step three. And all three of those elements are a, a; they're an element of the public transportation metaphor. You have these schools that even have orchestra programs. To your point, Trevor, your mom didn't play after they dropped public school; they couldn't afford it. She couldn't, she couldn't have a violin, so done playing. So, how are you going to spend wow. your time practicing something that? doesn't even have the viability of creating a life for yourself later on in life. But I think what's starkly different about today than in the parent parent, the first generation or whatever we were talking about with our parents, we have the internet, man. Like there's this, this wellspring. Shout out out to the internet.
2: Shout 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 out to the internet, homie. Come on the podcast. Come on the podcast. On the
1: podcast. So you're listening. You're using the internet right now. If you can hear me now, you're using the internet. (laughs) But I think that there is the opportunity that now democratizes the ability in a small way. There's still a lot of barriers to create this life that we enjoy. There's still a lot of luck, and Mark, you pinpointed it there it, this is hard. Mm-hmm. It's not just hard. It requires a passion that can't be extinguished by multiple failures, multiple yeah. hardships, multiple outside voices telling you're wrong, that you're incapable of it. Because if you're going to try to go down the musical route, especially if you're going to try to do something wonderful like what you have with a story, a Window, Mark, you're going to hear people saying, I don't get it. Yeah, You're going to hear people saying, this is not going to work. Why are you wasting your time? And if that is enough to extinguish your flame, It's not gonna work. On this little segue to Astoria window, I'm curious because, like, we actually hung out a couple of times in Astoria when we were both in New York at the same time. Did you ever live in Astoria? I
0: did. I didn't. So the my duo partner is my boyfriend John, which is very convenient. It's very easy to schedule rehearsals. Yeah, Um, yeah, (laughs) rehearsal. (laughs) But John lived in Astoria when we met. So we oh. like the whole idea was born because we would hang out at his apartment in Astoria and uh, we did a bunch of like random things that are burned into my mind as being inherently like queens E, which they're not. Like I, I like having popsicles and watching Dexter, but for some reason it's all just melted <laughs> <laughs> into like Astoria, Queens. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just like this time period that we've been together as a couple for seven and a half years now. And wow. the band has Congrats. been like, thanks, man. The band has been like something where we've been working on for like six of those, trying to figure it out. There's always been something there. And we've just been trying to find what's that combo, what's that sound that we're really going for here. But it was in Astoria that we've just first started messing around with different sonic stuff. But I think like the idea of a window uh, in time in your memory is something that I really like just thinking about high school. The window of your life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's I love the, that. Thanks. Love Queens. Didn't N- that kind that.
1: of? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's it's actually one of my favorite places in New York City. The food scene is nuts, yeah. as I'm sure you you remember. Oh yeah, yeah. One yeah. thing. One more question that I had because for me, I only lived in New York for four years, but it was like a chapter. Yeah, it was a real chapter of my life, as I'm sure it was a chapter for you, Trevor, and for you, Mark. Like, since leaving and going down to Houston or the Houston area, I don't know if this is off—not even on my question, but did you happen to see like this recent storm, like videos from the recent storm in New York?
0: I heard about it. I hadn't. I haven't seen any, but I heard about like people having like water to the waist in the subway stairwells, in the subways. And stuff. Yeah.
1: Okay, so. I started watching I started following in like a New York account those New York meme accounts that just capture like the oh, yeah. yeah. craziest things like subway creatures subway yeah. subway Pizzarette. creatures I I in I encourage you to go check out some of the most <laughs> ratchet videos of just but it just reminded me about this resiliency of New Yorkers of you know what I don't care if the the sky is falling the roof is leaking and my apartment's flooding I'm going to grill me some burgers. You know what I'm saying? That's like that stark hardiness that I miss, that can-do-ness of New York, that I'm looking straight forward and I'm going to go through this wall if I have to kind of essence of New York. That's what I miss the most about being there and that energy. I'm curious, what do you miss most, if anything, about living in New York City?
0: I think similarly, just the feeling. New York like I said, really is a place that can be difficult for a modicum of reasons, especially when you're moving a really expensive instrument around. One of my like last gigs there, I was playing at this hotel called the Andaz and it's on Wall Street. And they have this Mm -hmm. beer garden where they have people play. And it was a really fun gig. Like I was really happy to do it, but it just involved a whole bunch of insane logistics. Like I had to like double park, on wall street with like buses i had to double park and unload all my stuff which is like my harp my bench my music stand my speaker stand a bag of cables and microphones my mic stand my music it's like a lot like i'm making like six trips bringing all this stuff in i like have to leave it with the bartender and then move my car to a garage pay 60 bucks to be at this gig to have my car parked and then Walk back over and now move all of the stuff six trips from the bar to where I'm supposed to set up, unhook all of it, and I'm just like outside on Wall Street with my like super expensive harp and like equipment and yada yada. And maybe that play, that type of experience plays into the can do ness of New York. You're just like, I'm here, there's people who wanna hear it, so I'm gonna play it. But I remember like walking back to my car carrying too much stuff and like hurting myself from just overdoing it having to like rush to put everything in my car which is literally tetris every time like because i'm like holding up the garage and blah 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 and like that's all vividly stuff that makes me love new york more as a place to visit where (laughs) you know like i (laughs) that those kinds of memories are prevalent in my mind when I think of, oh, I miss New York, I want to move back there. Yeah. It's on my in the my periphery i did I played it I went on like right before the pandemic, actually, like the beginning of march twenty twenty I went on like a business trip up to New York and played a couple gigs. and it was just a dream because it was wonderful because I like had to hire a harp mover and stuff. So I just showed up at venues and there was a harp there for me to play, and that was just so luxurious. But I think the thing that I miss most is through all of that, like through all of the challenges. There's just this feeling like you just feel like you're in it and you're doing it. That's how I feel in New York. I'm in the Mecca and I'm doing the thing. And I do feel like it's somewhere that every artist should spend some time, whether it's a year or a summer or something. I think it's somewhere that you should experience that energy of we're all here, we're working, we're learning, we're walking really fast. We're eating street <laughs> food. Like, <laughs> you know, it's definitely like a culture that's worth experiencing as an artist, both because of the positive and negative things it brings up. It's been material for a lot of music that I've written. I'm mm. sure you guys can relate. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it really I proves I whether energy. or not
1: you're serious. Yeah. Like, are you serious about this shit? And if for you sure. are, like, you'll put up with six trips. To the bartender, and then six more trips to where you're oh. actually going to be playing. And I mean, it's sixty dollars.
0: I, I know, I still do it, but like here, it's I pull up where I'm going to play because there's a lot of space, <laughs> and I like pull my stuff out, and then I move my car over a little to a parking space because there is one. <laughs> and then, it, yeah, it's it's definitely places, like, most places are more conducive to being a harvest, honestly, than New York. Yeah, don't
1: come to LA if you like parking spots. Oh, yeah, if you like anything.
0: Guys, how's it going? Drew, the last time I talked to you about LA, I feel like you had just moved there, and you were like, it's a work in progress. (laughs) 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 I've tried so
1: So for me, I feel I'm like living, like a Los Angelino. I feel it. One of the things that is starkly different for me is that I don't feel like the desperation Mm. anymore, which is, okay, it's mostly positive, but also... Without that element of, I'm about to fall over a cliff, there's a less like ravenous hunger that used to be there when I was in New York. It's, I don't know if you know much about running track, but if you're sprinting the 100 and you're, they say on your mark, so you put your hands on the line, the get set, you have to put your butt in the air and tilt your body forward in a position to where you're precarious. Like any moment you could fall forward. And when you hear the gunshot, you fall, you literally are supposed to fall forward and turn your legs and stay down until you can get yourself right side up. And by continually falling forward, you actually move faster just wow. a little bit. Cause it's a game of milliseconds, right? That, that, get set when you're about to fall over is what it feels like to live in New York. And I miss that because I was always ready. In LA, there's a lot more dead space in that driving to the gig takes me two hours. And then I get to the gig and I wait another three hours until I do my thing. It's just LA is way more waiting Mm. and New York's way more doing. So I have trouble adjusting to the waiting. yeah. But that being said, a lot bigger things happen in LA. The waiting isn't for naught, but at least in my soul, a soul that loves doing, it's proving to be a challenge. That's why we've started this podcast. That's why I'm continually- Like reevaluating myself, and like this pandemic has been good for that. And what I want to just put on wax is that this particular conversation, Mark, the combination of the metaphors we've constructed, your input, Trevor, has really inspired me to rethink what my mission is, what my why is.
0: Aww.
1: And I think it is the discovery that the infrastructure is what's most important if we want to make this ecosystem better for more people. And I think that now that I've come to LA, I realize my job out here now is to work to build more infrastructure so we can, you know, get more people the opportunity to do what we do.
0: I feel like that's, that's why I'm happy been... to hear have you on the podcast. Thanks, man. I was just going to say, I feel like you've always been doing that. You've always been. Wasn't your like vibe always Neil deGrasse Tyson of classical music?
1: Yeah. But then it was like, I can't pay rent next month. Okay, maybe Mm -hmm. I can be Neil deGrasse Tyson later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get those gigs.
2: Gotta get those gigs, you know what I'm saying? This has been an excellent conversation. I think the the last thing we want to talk about before you return to your, your many harp students is what's the future looking like? An upcoming project or, or something that now that in air quotes a post pandemic air quotes wink wink what's next? You've you've been getting closer to your why or the current iteration of your why. Mm-hmm. What are you working on these days?
0: These days I'm writing an EP and making plans to release and perform music a lot this upcoming year. I wonder if you guys, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. I think another kind of side effect from moving away from New York and then the pandemic is has been for me like realizing that I've been living life similar to the get set metaphor, like I've really been living life like it's a race and just being in a rush all the time, and that's led to putting out some music maybe for the wrong reasons or spending time on things, like I said, that just don't feel authentic now when I take a step back and look at it. So now I'm just really loving the instrumentation I've wound up with, which is a combination of, again, kalimba, (laughs) among other things, electronics and harp and vocals. And can't wait to release the music. I'm going to be working on that probably for the remainder of the summer. And another thing that's actually been really exciting for me is gigs are coming back. So, Drew, you mentioned earlier that like I don't post a lot on social media anymore. And something I realized that I hadn't really thought about was a lot of what I was posting was gigs. Look at this cool venue. Look at my harp. Doesn't she look pretty in this cool place? And <laughs> been a lot of at my house teaching on Zoom. So I'm really excited to here post here in my garage. Yeah. Here in my garage. <laughs> my <Yeah>. Lamborghini. Lamborghini. <laughs> Yeah, posting some gig (laughs) content. Gig content and Uh, hours. Leanne
2: and and
1: (laughs) That's good. That's good. I I miss, but I will say that I am not sad for all of the wonderful harp content from your studio that you've been posting.
0: Thanks, man. So
1: I hope that that, I hope that continues.
0: It's all in phases with multi-genre people. Sometimes you're in a classical mood. I've been in a classical mood this summer. I've been learning a bunch of French music. So I've been posting it a little bit. But yeah, who knows? It'll be next month. It'll be jazz or whatever. We'll see how the tables turn.
1: Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to see what the next phase of the moon will bring with Mark Davis. And I wanted to roll the carpet out. So, if you do you have anything that you want to promote to our faking fam, they've been listening to you, they've been learning from you. Is there any way that they can give back to you and support you?
0: Yeah, thanks man. Everything that I have coming out, I will promote on my Instagram, Mark Davis Music. You can also find my band on there, Astoria Window. And we can't wait to send y'all some music.
1: We're looking forward to it.
0: Thanks so much for having thanks me, again. guys. It's so good to see you both.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for coming on. And until next time, uh just stay safe, okay? And continue to live your life and, and make wonderful art.
0: You too, guys.
1: Till next time.
2: Thanks again for coming through.
0: Bye, I got a real Gracie. man. What an ideal man now. Person i love has all of my love and how talk about a classic lover and you couldn't help discover that he's that way lovable and sweet he's